Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And like this again, having some technical issues this morning. And so, forgot to plug in my microphone in the previous one. So when I finally plugged it in, it still wasn't registering the audio, but now it should be. And it shows and registers that it is. All right, so let's try this again. So good morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to continue on our study of the Gospel of John. We're up to chapter 4. And I'm going to be, again, using the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study, which are interpretation, application, demonstration, the what, the how, the why of Scripture. And in this, we're going to be taking verse by verse, point by point, taking a look at what the Bible says. So I hope this is an encouragement to you. hope this is a help and a blessing to you. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and join me in the study of the Gospel of John, chapter 4. <clears throat> now, in the previous chapters, we have been establishing the identity of Jesus Christ, who he is according to the Word of God, and we see clearly that Jesus is God. He, he is God manifested in the flesh. And we seeing the miracles and the teachings, the doctrines of Jesus Christ as we go through. And uh, we're going to see that the beginning of chapter 4 kind of ties up what we were discussing in chapter 3. Jesus and his disciples baptizing what was going on there. So again, folks, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding this topic at hand, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Be glad to hear you out. And uh, just remember, try to keep it related to the topic at hand. If it's not related to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study. Okay, so... Um, as well, if you have any questions regarding some of the stuff we discussed in the previous chapters, please go ahead and uh, ask away. We'd love to. We'd love to talk about that too. Okay, so the Gospel of John, chapter four. Now, again, I just want to do a slow walkthrough of the Berean method, the the three points of the Christian faith, the three points of Bible study. We actually have some bookmarks that actually explain the three points, uh, three point system of the Berean Method on the Christian Coffee Time Etsy store as well. If you're interested, just check out our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. And please make sure you give this a like and a thumbs up and subscribe and hit the notification bell icon so you know we put up new videos. Okay, so the Berean Method three-point system here, at interpretation, application, demonstration. Interpretation, application, demonstration. This is the what, the how, the why. Now, the first is being the what, the what of the narrative. What is it specifically saying? The narrative of the text. So we take a look, for example, at, at Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord, or the Lord, L-O-R-D, all uppercase, all uppercase, it means almighty God. The Lord God, almighty, is our shepherd. Now, that's what it's talking about, about God being our shepherd and all this. And we're clear about this. We don't cherry pick verses. We don't cherry pick words or anything out of context. What it says is what it means by the word of God. The second Peter chapter one, verses 20 to 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the scriptures came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they're moved by the Holy Ghost. So it's not open to personal interpretation. 
So when you read through Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters. What's that talking about? What's the context there? You see, because you could cherry pick that and say, at least we said the still waters, that's talking about I can make moonshine. No, that's not. You can literally twist anything out of context to try to justify anything. But what is it saying? So we get the narrative of the text. Then you back up, slow down, go again through it slowly, take a look at how. How is it specifically being said? The specific words and the pictures and the images, doing the word studies, and in this, <clears throat> want to understand proper full context. How can I pair what I'm reading with other aspects of the word of God as well? I'm not going by my feelings, my opinions, not by my experiences or what I think, what I feel. What does it say? How is it being said? So the how, for example, the Lord is my shepherd. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I give my life for my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me and I give unto them eternal life. And then finally, we see the why. Why should we do this for a personal growth, spiritual growth, uh, uh, understanding and grasp of the word of God it, that to go live it, speak it, think it, do it. Demonstration. So there you go. So I hope that uh, clears that up. And uh, if you have any questions on that, please go ahead, ask away. Okay, so we're going to take a look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And starting at verse 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, um, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. All right. Okay, I'm being told that we have some glitches. Uh, is uh, this clear for anyone else? Is anyone else having any issues uh, with the uh, with with the feed? How's the audio video? Is it syncing up pretty good? Could you please let me know? Someone in the comments, let me know if it's uh, doing all right. Shows that it's doing all right on my side here. Just love technology. It was buffering, but it's good for me now. Okay. Yeah, we're just having a little bit of some technical issues this morning. So we'll try to fight our way through it. Um, slightly glitchy from the beginning. Okay. Well, I'll slow down my talking. <laughs> and I can... I can jabber on pretty fast. So I'll try to slow down a little bit and let me know if we're having any more issues and uh, we'll try to work our way through it. Okay. So as we see from verses one to three, John chapter four, verses one to three, as when Jesus heard that the Pharisees and them were arguing and bickering and fighting about John's baptizing and your baptizing and all of this kind of thing, and Jesus says he baptized not the, his disciples. It says when he heard that there was contention, that there is contention about this, about John baptizing, his baptizing. What did Jesus do when there's contention? When striving, fights, contention, misunderstanding in, uh, of ministry in this way, that people trying to turn it into a competition, trying to turn the faith, trying to turn the ministry into competition. What did Jesus do? He left. 
He left. He's not going to be a part of it. He's not going to be a part of confrontation. Uh, uh, sorry, of contention. When there's confrontation arises and it becomes contention, he leaves. No, not going to be a part of this. Going to back off. So you look at verse 3. He left. When people fail to see the ministry and the point and the purpose that it's supposed to be, he leaves. He's not going to stay and fight. He's not going to bicker. He's not going to. It's not going to turn into he said, she said, or or I'm doing this, or I have more authority. No, he's not going to do that. All the work, all the ministry is of the Lord if it's of the right doctrine. This is where you got to understand where people are coming from. So, for example, you look at Joel Osteen. Well, he has a lot of success. He has a lot of followers. There's a lot of people. A lot of stuffs going on there. And a lot of people say that he's being blessed by God. But, okay, look at his doctrine. Look at his doctrine. So all because someone has success, that doesn't mean they're of God. All because someone has more doesn't mean that they're of God. You want to listen to the doctrine they're about. Now, if so-and-so and and -and so-and-so are preaching the exact same gospel, the exact same doctrines, they are both of the Lord, you assist each other. You're no one's better than anyone else. God is no respecter of persons, neither should we be. Now, what that means is holding someone else up higher than others. Nobody is over anyone else. No one is over anyone else. We want to abstain from any form of contentious, competitive style behavior in this thing. That'll just ruin the revival. You bring in a wrong spirit, it's going to ruin the revival. So, Now, the other thing we want to look at, too, in verse 2, though Jesus himself baptized not. Why? Can someone tell me, someone explain in the comments, could could you tell me, why did Jesus not baptize? How come he didn't do any of the baptizing? Why do you think? We take a look at this. How come Jesus himself baptized none? What's your thoughts? We look through the ministry of Jesus from the beginning of his ministry, from when he was baptized by John and all his teaching and preaching. How come Jesus baptized not? He's the word. He teaches what the truth is. Jesus is the shepherd. But sheep make sheep. Sheep make sheep. The work of the ministry falls to the disciples, falls to the church, falls to the sheep. The sheep make sheep. Being baptized... And helping others to grow in these things comes down to our work. This is what we are called to do. Jesus called us to go preaching and baptizing in his name. He came to just show us what the truth is. We then take it and act upon it. We then take what he shows us and we carry it out. The sheep make sheep. So this is why Jesus baptized not, but rather he instructed his disciples to do so. They just followed the decree and the instruction of Jesus. So, there you go. Now, listen to also verse 1 again. Let's back up. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard. Look at all, there's something else here as well. 
when Jesus also discovered that the Pharisees had heard. So Jesus caught wind that the opposition, the enemies, the godless, the trolls, the heathen, the pagans, all of these, the Pharisees, the legalistic, pharisaical, judgmental apostates, uh, they were, as Jesus says, you, you, have not, you have not the love of God in you. When Jesus caught wind that the enemies, the trolls, had heard that, that what he was doing and that they were coming, what did Jesus also do? Preemptively, he avoided the contention. So this also shows an aspect here of looking ahead. Now, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is called the Evangelist's Gospel. Because it shows you the life of Christ and all these things that the very simply showing the gospel of salvation by grace through faith, the belief alone and the identity of the deity of Jesus Christ. Very clearly, it's called the evangelist gospel. Now, chapter four is very interesting. Chapter four is called the evangelist's chapter of the evangelist's gospel. Because in chapter four, Jesus actually teaches us how to evangelize if we actually break this down point by point step by step through chapter four we see jesus actually outlining and explaining for us how to be an evangelist watch the first thing we see in in chapter four verse one is aware of surroundings aware of the area that you are going to because every area has its own uniqueness, its own qualities, its own flavor, its own contentions, its own issues, everywhere you go. So now, being cautious and aware of the goings-on of the area that you are going to. If you see that the area that you're going to is going to be really difficult, let's say there's a lot of, lot of cult churches and a lot and a lot of activity of pagans or whatever in the area you might want to rethink that because it's just going to turn into a battle it's going to turn into a fight it's it's not going to be easy it's going to be a problem so if you see that there's going to be a lot of fightings against what you're doing best just go somewhere else jesus got wind that the pharisees had heard about this and they were causing issues about this jesus left the other thing we take from this as well is that contrary to what a lot of people think, the Bible does not teach that we are to be martyrs. The martyrdom complex that we see in a lot of people, where, well, then. Oh, my connection just dropped. All right. I'm having a lot of technical issues on my side here. Is uh, anyone else having any issues? It says it says I just went offline for a minute. <clears throat> so, can can anyone give me a thumbs up? You're back. It was up for a second. It's good now. Yeah. We're having a lot of opposition this morning, so why don't we just stop stop just for a second and just pray about this. 
Our Father, we thank you for this day, for this time. And we ask, Lord, you please help us to be able to get through this study without any more opposition. I pray, Lord, that you please put your hand upon this broadcast. You please bless the reading of your word. Put a hedge of protection about us, about this study, and about all the hearers, that all those that hear this would be blessed by this and strengthened by this. Lord, you please keep opposition away and let us be able to get through this without any more issues. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right. Let's continue. All right. So as I was talking about, nowhere in the Bible does it teach a, uh, that we are to, to seek to be a martyr, to seek it out, to, to have the martyrdom complex that uh, I know that they're going to hate me and they might kill me and they're going to do that, all these kinds of things to me. But they need to hear it anyways. The Bible actually says, or Jesus actually says, that, that if they will not receive you, knowing who you are, and they will not receive the doctrine that you bring them, you're to leave. Leave that house. Leave that city. Let your blessing return back upon you. Brush off the dust of your feet at them as a sign. You're not to stay there and take offense, take the opposition. You're not to do that. Rather, the Bible says, as Jesus says, that if they start to reject you, if they start to oppose you, if they will not receive you, leave. Leave. So, in fact, the Bible actually teaches against the martyrdom complex. That, yes, that there are times that come and opposition come down, but the Lord wants you to live. He wants you to go and find those who have ears to hear. If they will not hear you, if they will not accept you, if they're just going to fight you, leave. Leave. Don't stay there. My rights, my liberty, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure you have rights and liberty, but our rights and liberties are being the rights and liberties of Jesus Christ. And he says, leave. The moment they start to oppose you, leave. You speak to those who have ears to hear. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. All right, so Jesus shows us here that opposition came along. He left. So the evangelist is not to fight. The evangelist is not to fight, not to strive. The servant of the Lord must not strive. That's what the Bible says. But rather, we strive for the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Strive to follow Christ-likeness. Then Christ-likeness says, leave when opposition and those kinds of things come down the line. So that's the first thing you must keep in mind is proper attitude. Proper attitude and the reason why we're in this. We're here to win the soul, not the argument. We're here to win the soul, not the argument. If there's issues, we're to be the peacemakers. We're to be passive in these things. We're not to be aggressive, not supposed to be contentious and fighting and, and bickering and that kind of thing. Debate can be done properly. The moment a debate becomes a fight, walk away. Walk away. Just walk away when it starts to lose the attitude that it's supposed to be about. Okay? <clears throat> All right. So we see in verse 3, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Now, I have a couple of verses in the margin of my Bible here. I want to look up real quick here. So Titus chapter 3. So Titus chapter 3. And starting at verse 9. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 9. 
but avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions. Avoid contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. You see that? But avoid, avoid foolish questions, genealogies, which would be, you know, arguments about ancestry and all that kind of stuff. It's irrelevant. We are who we are today. We can't do anything about the past. We strive, we strive to do the things of the Lord. The Bible says forgetting the things of the past. So don't get into fights about that. And contentions. Avoid contentions. Avoid strivings about the law. For they are unprofitable and vain. All these kinds of things. The other one here is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20. Uh, there is no verse 23. What am I writing? Oh, it's second. What is it? I think it's supposed to be Second Timothy chapter two. <laughs> All right. Yes. Second Timothy chapter Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty three. But of but foolish and unlearned questions avoid. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Okay. So if we want to follow the Lord, we want to follow the Lord in ministry. We want to be uh, of a Christ-like heart and attitude. We got to know when to walk away, when to stop, when to stop talking, when to just throw in the towel, when to just brush off the dust of our feet, when to just call it quits. We got to know the attitude and the, the atmosphere. Once it becomes aggressive, contentious, walk away. Okay. So he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Now, Samaria, uh, the city, uh, the area of the Samaritans, who had no dealings with the Jews. So we see here as well cultural societal differences where the Jews are taught have nothing to do with the Samaritans and, and the Samaritans likewise. Look at Jesus crossing barriers, breaking barriers, cultural barriers. Uh, we see Jesus, again, doesn't care who the person is. All people are made in the image of God. That we see in 1 John chapter verse 2, and he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we see also in Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse uh, sorry, verse 28, Galatians chapter 3, starting at verse 28, that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, all are one in Christ. So as Jesus atoned for the sins of all the world, and God so loved the world, all people are made in the image of God. Looking down on another person because of their culture, because of their color, because of their race or whatever, is ungodly. That's demonic. That's of Satan to hate another person because of color, language, or nationality. I'm just going to say that because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what God teaches. And anyone who says contrary to that is not of God. The Bible does not teach bigotry towards persons. All persons are made in the image of God, whether you like them or not. 
All persons were made in the image of God. Christ died on the cross for all persons. Everybody's heart beats red blood. And that's all that the Lord cares about is the, the heart would believe on him that the soul is saved. So, just consider that. So Jesus, who is born a Jew of Israel, born of Mary, born in Bethlehem of Israel, a Jew of Israel, is going to the Samaritans that the Jews hate, the Jews oppose. Think about that. He must needs go there as well. He doesn't just stay amongst his own. He goes out. He must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. All right, so what's the next thing we see here? Well, Jesus first is aware of the area, what's going on. He avoids contention, and he doesn't care about who he's going to because all people need to hear the gospel. It doesn't matter who or what they are. So Jesus goes to the Samaritans, and he goes to the city of Sychar. And now, what does Jesus now do? He uses his surroundings as a groundbreaker, as an icebreaker. He uses what's currently at their, his disposal to use, a well. He's sitting at a well. A woman comes to the well to draw water. Jesus starts a conversation, uses, uses this as the topic, water, give me to drink. For his disciples are gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So you see, Jesus even questioned about asking her for water would even bring this issue up of societal cultural contention. He avoided the contention of that by being the first to invite to conversation and break the barrier. Break the barrier. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. What do we see Jesus doing? Ignoring the topic of race. Look at that. All people are made in the image of God. No one is better than anyone else. God made mankind. He made all humankind. We are of the human race. God made us. We are made by God, body, soul, and spirit. She brought up the topic of the differences between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans. Jesus completely ignored it. Because it's irrelevant. All because someone is of this culture, someone's of this culture, no one is better than others. They're this color, they're this color, they're this language, they're this language, they're this nationality, they're this nationality. What does that matter? God is the God of all the world. Why are we bringing in these differences? Don't do that. When you're out evangelizing, all you see is a soul. 
All you see is a living soul that Christ so loved, that Christ died, was buried, and rose again for, that Christ wants to save. You're preaching to the souls. You're not preaching to skin. You're not preaching to language. You're not preaching to culture and, and nationality. You're preaching to souls. You're seeking to save souls. The church of our Lord is souls gathered together. Who cares about differences? As long as the doctrines are right, the souls are saved, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. If more people could see people the way Christ sees them, we'd have a lot less problems. The evangelist must not see the outward. Judge not after the outward appearance. Judge not after the outward appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Are you judging that which is of the inward? Everybody's inward is the same. Everybody's inward is the same. So Jesus completely ignores the whole topic of differences between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he rather immediately jumps to the topic about the gift of God. But the gift of God, salvation, the gospel, redemption, forgiveness, and the blessings of the Spirit of God. That out of you will flow springs of living water. That he would give you living water. So you see Jesus staying on topic. There is the other point that Jesus also makes here. Is stay on topic. Stay on topic. Ignore. Ignore the attempts to run you off the rails. Ignore the rabbit trails. Ignore the trolls. Ignore the haters. Ignore all that which would try to oppose you. Jesus says... If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that, that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Sorry, what's this? Theology. That's really good shows on critical race theory. Oh, yeah. But again, race irrelevant. And when we take a look at this, race is irrelevant. Because when you look in the word of God, we see the Ninevites, 120,000 Ninevites got saved by the preaching of Jonah. Nebuchadnezzar, emperor of Babylon, got saved by, by the testimony of Daniel. And, and Nebuchadnezzar wrote Daniel chapter 4. And we see tons of other Gentiles getting saved, all other cultures around the world getting saved in the word of God. Abraham was a Gentile. Of the land of the Ur of Chaldees. So we see here that, again, race is irrelevant. It's only relevant to us, but it's not relevant to God. Because God is the God of all the races. And in fact, there is only one race, the human race, in the eyes of God. Because in Christ, there's no Jew nor Gentile, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. So we need to start seeing each other the way God sees us. Consider that. So, yeah. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? What did Jesus do with that? What did Jesus do with this challenge? Again, she tries to change the topic. She reverts back to arguments on prophets, arguments on others, the, the, the fathers of the faith, all those, the patriarchs and whatnot. What does Jesus do with this? Well, 
if we do a study throughout the Bible, we see, as Jesus says in the volume of the book, it is written of me, that the patriarchs, the prophets, the, the priests and the kings and all those who love the Lord pointed everybody to the one true God, to the one way, one truth, one life. That all throughout the Bible, we see salvation by grace through faith, through belief alone in the one and only Lord God of Holy Scripture. Now, Jacob worshipped God of Israel, the Lord God. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus, according to the word of God? Well, if you go to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, you see Jesus is prophesied here of the son born, the child given is called the mighty God, the everlasting father. The prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, says the one born in Bethlehem is the one whose ways are of old, of everlasting. The always existing one will be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Isaiah 7, 14, uh, it, that uh, he'll be born of a virgin and he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 1 John 5, 20, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14, the word which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 8, Jesus before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claims to be almighty God in the scriptures. Who is the God of Jacob then? Who is the God of Abraham? Who is the God of Moses, the God of Elijah? Who is the God of, of Adam and Eve? John chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 says the word which is God made all things. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the spirit of God that came down manifested in the flesh as Jesus is the same God that made Adam and Eve, made the world, made all things, and is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She says, art thou greater than our father Jacob? Just a little bit. I think, I think Jesus is just a, a little bit greater than the fathers. I think he's just a little bit bigger, a little bit greater. Verse 13, Jesus answered, said unto her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. You see, Jesus completely ignores that, that argument, that, that whole thing as well. What does the Bible say? Avoid foolish questions. What does the Bible say? Avoid foolish questions. Don't get baited in to foolish questions. Don't get baited in. Ignore the foolish questions. Is Jesus greater than the prophets? I think he's just a little bit greater than the prophets. Because Jesus is God. Jesus is not a prophet. Jesus is not just some priest. He's not just some holy man. He's not Michael the Archangel. Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Jesus stays on topic. He stays on topic. He doesn't get baited off. He doesn't take the bait of debating stupid, foolish questions. He stays on point, on topic, on target. Jesus says, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. That which is of the physical. Back up to verse uh, to chapter 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. And of the Spirit. Water, Spirit. 
flesh, spirit. You must be born again. Born again. So again, we see the topic of water comes up again. Jesus likes to use the topic, the allegory of water, the metaphors of water. He says, I am the water of life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of life. Notice, it's interesting, if you actually do a scientific study of all the specific things that the human body needs to live, that's what Jesus claims to be. That we as human bodies, with human bodies, we need light to live. If there's no light, we can't live. Nature can't live if there's no light. Jesus says, I am the light of life. We need water. If we don't have water, we die. I am the water of life. We need food to live. I am the bread of life. We need a, we need a direction. I am I, I, I am the guide. I guide thee with mine eye. My, my word is a lamp unto our feet, a light into our path. He is our strength. He is our life. He is our protection. He is our blessing. He is our provision. He is our water, our, our, our light. He is our bread. He's our every, every single thing that you would ever need to live, Jesus claims to be. It's quite interesting. Whosoever drinketh of this water, physical water, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water spring up into everlasting life. The water that I give him will spring up as a well. What I will give you. Raul, you're going you're gonna to like this one. Look what he says here. A good friend of mine watches it. Yeah, Raul, he's a great apologist. He's a great debater. He, he loves these arguments too. Uh, uh, these points, these proofs. Verse 14, check, check this out. What I give you is permanent. It becomes an established permanent well. Look at that. You see that? Verse 14. Well, what I give you will become an established permanent well and it will spring up it is a living well a lively well it is it is an overflowing well it's an overflowing well that's psalm 23 our cup will overflow our cup will overflow salvation's permanent There you go. There's another one. So we see there that the Bible teaches that salvation is permanent. Saved, sealed, forgiven. Sealed. Emphasis on sealed. That's Ephesians 1.13, Ephesians 4.30, and John chapter 3, verse 14. But the water that I give you will become a well, an established, founded, grounded well that's overflowing. See? You see that? But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, to drink of the water that I give. See, see it. Look, look at the words. The words specifically. The words specifically. To drink. Not taste. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, and Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, is talking about those who only taste of 
who have the knowledge of, the enlightenment of, the taste of, they have not feasted of. They did not drink of the water. They did not make it establish and accept it. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6 and Hebrews 10, 26 is talking about unsaved people rejecting that which has been shown to them. Hebrews 6, 4 to 6, Hebrews 10, 26 is not talking about saved people giving up their salvation because you can't. You can't lose your salvation. It can't be taken away and it can't be given up. It's, a, it's established. It's permanent. It's a work of God, not of us. So whosoever drinketh to actually take the cup And actually feast on it, to drink it, to accept, to take it into your person. How do you do that? Romans 10, 9 to 10. Confess the belief of your heart. Not confess the knowledge of your mind. To believe on. Difference, difference than believing in. Believing on is something that's personal. It's a whole entire involvement of spirit in person. Your whole being. I accept this as my entire truth of life. He, Jesus Christ is my God and Savior. And I come to him for salvation from my sin. I drink of that water of life. I feast of that bread of life. I accept that light of life into me. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Shall never thirst. You'll never thirst again. Because it's established that water is always in you. You'll never be thirsty because the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of God, Ephesians 3.17, the spirit of Christ lives in the heart of every believer. You'll never become thirsty again. Shall never thirst. When you drink of this water, you will never thirst. You can't lose your salvation. If even one single verse of the entire Bible contradicts an opinion, a doctrine, a feeling, an ideology, a supposition, experience, or whatever, then all of those things are wrong. Look what Jesus says. Can God lie? No. Then why did God say you'll never thirst? Why do you say it'll become a, a living well within you? Because that's what happens. Salvation is permanent. It's not work, not by righteous work, not works of the law. It's by grace through faith, through belief alone, and once saved, always saved. There it is. Any comments, questions, issues, insights on that before we move along? Before I move along. Uh, we're going to be breaking this chapter in half. We're only going to do half of this chapter for this morning. And we'll finish it up uh, tomorrow at some time. Uh, so, because there's just, there's just so much in this chapter, I, I don't want to rush through it. So, is there any comments, questions, issues, insights on this so far? Anything at all? Anything else at all? So we see, you see how much you can actually pull out of this when you go slowly. You go very slowly. Take your time, verse by verse, point by point. Why does he say drinketh? 
You see, every single word that the scriptures actually have, those words were chosen for a specific reason. God instructed the writers in what to write. We see in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, that the, that the servants of God were inspired by the Spirit of God, that God dictated to them what to write. God said, John, write this. And he told John what to write, and John wrote down what God said. Holy divine inspiration. God told him what to write. That So these words that, that are written in the scriptures are specific, specifically selected and chosen by God. Look at the meaning of this. You take these words as you read them. For example, whosoever drinketh. And we go back to the original Greek and Hebrew. Old Testament was written in Hebrew. New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Go back to the Greek. Look up. What is the meaning of these words? In fact, I'm going to do that. Just give me one second. I actually have it on my phone, a uh, Greek interlinear Bible. So if I go here, and this is John chapter 4, verse 14. I'm going to look up the actual Greek word, or drinketh. John chapter 4, that's verse 14. Whosoever drinketh. Uh, pino means to drink, figuratively, to receive into the soul what serves to refresh, strengthen, nourish it unto life eternal. Pino. To receive into the soul what serves to refresh, strengthen, nourish it unto life eternal. That's what that word actually means. Drink it. To receive into oneself, to nourish it unto life eternal. That's rather interesting. That's Titus chapter 3, verse 5. That's right. This really is the evangelist gospel chapter. Jesus teaches us to cut straight to the point, only speak on things that are relevant. Amen. That's right. That's right. Now, in the Strong's Concordance definition of the word drinketh, the first is a prolonged form of the second, which together with the third form occurs only as an alternate in certain tenses to imbibe literally or figuratively to drink. As you would take a cup and actually pour it into your in inside, as you actually ingest it, to take it in as nourishment to give you life. That's what the word drinketh me. So you see how the words are so specific. We got to know what it is we believe. We got to understand what we're reading. We don't read the Bible like we would a reader's digest. It's not just, you know, like a school curriculum. This is something else. We want to slow down. Slow down. Pay attention to the specific words. Why did God say it that way? Why did he use those words? You see, God just doesn't, God doesn't speak flippantly. He doesn't just, you know, uh, words are falling out. No, no, he is very choosing and selective on what he says. When you look at Jesus' arguments with the Pharisees, when he's debating the Pharisees, or when he's teaching people, he's very, very careful and specific about his words. So should we. So let, let's, let's go just a little bit further here. 
So whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Underline that, highlight that, mark that, never thirst, and drinketh. Underline, highlight those, those two parts there. Shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well. Underline, highlight, a well of water springing up into life eternal, to everlasting life. Verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. All right. Sometimes when you're evangelizing, when you're witnessing and teaching, you could use such, such clear, obvious examples. And you're very clear. And some people just, just, just won't get it. They'll have trouble with this. They'll struggle with this. Again, we see the patience. The patience of Jesus Christ. The servant of the Lord must be long-suffering. Gentle, loving, meek, humble. The, all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. We must demonstrate all of this. Look at, look at Jesus here. He's telling her so obviously, but she's not getting She's having trouble with this. The long-suffering of Christ. The woman said, sir, I would like this water. I never thirst, never have to come and draw again. I never have to do anything ever again. Um. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you never have to do anything ever again. I'm not saying that. But rather we see here the woman is having a little bit of trouble understanding exactly what Jesus is saying. So what does Jesus do? He changes the angle. He stays on topic. He just uses another explanation. Explain it again. If someone is willing to listen, they're just having trouble. Don't get frustrated with them. Be long-suffering and patient and explain it again. Use a different explanation. So what does Jesus do? Well, I have a verse here uh, in, the, in the margin. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing. See that? When the times of refreshing, a cool glass of water is very refreshing. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you. Repent ye therefore and be converted, and you will be refreshed. So you see here now Jesus stays on point on target here of what is refreshing salvation, redemption, your sins forgiven, sealed by the Spirit of God, having the hope of our Lord. Jesus says to her, Go call thy husband and come hither. What does Jesus do now? Jesus is tactful. Jesus is tactful, but he doesn't really beat around the bush. He goes right to the point. Says, okay, you're having trouble with this? Okay, then let me just be very blunt and very clear about this then. You're a sinner. We are sinners. We all know that we are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned. 
all are fallen away. All are become corrupt. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We've all broken the law of God. He jumps right to the point about her sin. The woman says, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus answered and said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly, you are living in adultery. You're fornicating around. You're living in adultery. You're, you're living in immorality. He goes right to the point. Now, we must make sure to help people to understand why they are believing in Jesus. All, all have sinned. All have lied. All have stolen. All have fallen away. All have done wrong. All are in error. We are sinners saved by grace. But in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We are not exposing their sin to, to condemn them, to, to be mean or aggressive or whatever, like the world accuses us of being. We expose sin so that they can see they need to repent. Why else are you believing in Jesus? Because I want to go to heaven. Why were you not going to heaven before? Why were you on your way to hell before? What was condemning you? Why do you have to believe in Jesus then? To be saved. Saved from what? Salvation from what? Salvation from what? All have sinned. So repentance is the acknowledgement that I'm a sinner. I need to be saved from my sins. He died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood for my sins. He was buried and rose again to show that he has power to give me everlasting life of my sins. And if I do not repent and believe the gospel, as Jesus says in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. If I, don't, if I don't do that, I'm not saved. Jesus says, except ye repent, you shall likewise perish. You're believing because you're repentant of your sins. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. She tries to change the topic. People get uncomfortable when sin is exposed. They get very uncomfortable. They don't want to talk about sin. They, and they often try, well, you're a sinner too. They, they, all, they, they get uncomfortable and they want to change a topic. They want to bring someone else into it or they want to find, somehow find you are to blame as well. Again, we must help them to understand we're all the same. We're all the same. We're all sinners. Show me a person who hasn't sinned and I'll show you a liar. Show, show me a person who has never made mistakes. We're not going to find that. All have sinned. So what does Jesus do with this then? When the woman tries to change the topic. Look what she does though. She uses flatteries. She uses flatteries. I perceive thou art a prophet. Tries to flatter him. To, to use flatteries as a means to change the topic. 
ignore flatteries. Well, you really seem to know a lot. You really know your scriptures. Um, now, what what do you think about this over here? What do you think about this topic? Don't, don't get pulled off. Don't get drawn off. Don't pay any attention to flatteries. Flatteries are nothing but veiled intentions to try to bring some other topic or some other issue, some other thing. Ignore it. Ignore it. We know who we are in the Lord. That's all that matters. Ignore what other people say. Don't, don't ever listen to flatteries. It goes to your head anyways. So ignore flatteries. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. How does Jesus address this? So first, flatteries to change the topic to, to, to try to do, instead of talking about repentance, talk about proper worship. Okay, now the evangelist also needs to know how to take a rabbit trail and turn the rabbit trail back to the main topic. To steer the rabbit trail back to the same topic again. It's not that you're dismissing it. You're showing them how it's connected with the proper main focus topic. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. I'll come back to that in a second. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Okay, how can you worship God in spirit and in truth? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So through Jesus Christ, we worship the Lord. How? Repent and believe the gospel. So you see, proper worship cannot be done unless you've repented and believed first. You want to worship the Lord properly? You need to repent and believe the gospel. So again, you see how he brings it around. Now he's going to go right to the point. Right to the point. But before we do that, let me back up a little bit. Verse 22. This is very, 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 very important. Verse 22. For salvation is of the Jews. You're going to get all kinds of crazy people. Cultists who say crazy things like only Jews can be saved. Um, yeah, I think you need to go back and read your Bible again. A lot more people other than just Jews got saved. Uh, like I've already mentioned, the Ninevites, Nebuchadnezzar, Abraham was a Gentile. And as well as you see throughout the Bible, tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of Gentiles and, and non-Jews got saved. And throughout the Gospels, non-Jews got saved. And throughout the rest of the Bible, non-Jews get saved. Um, God is the God of all the world. Now, what does he mean by salvation is of the Jews? The God of the Jews is the only God that there is. Jehovah God, Yahweh, the I Am 
almighty, sovereign Lord God of Holy Scripture, who called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and created and formed the nation of the Jews. That's what that means. It does not mean only Jews can get saved. It means the God of the Jews, the salvation that is of the nation of Israel, which is of the Lord God, of the temple of Solomon, it's all the temples, all the temples there, the God of Moses, the God of Elijah, is the only one that brings salvation. That's what that means. Anyone trying to tell you only Jews can be saved has to go back and read their Bible. They don't know what they're talking about. They're crazy. All right, so verse 24. We talked about this before in John chapter 1. God is a spirit, right? God is a spirit. Spirits don't die. Spirits don't bleed. How is Jesus God? The Spirit of God, as Gabriel informed Mary, the Spirit of God came down upon Mary, fashioned a body. That's Psalms 139, verses 13 to 16. God forms life in the womb. God forms life in the womb. And this life in the womb, fashioned by God, made by God, that God made in Mary, Isaiah 7, 14, Jeremiah 31, 22, divine conception, there are people who would try to tell you that Mary, that as a virgin, virgin just means young woman. Just in general, she was as a young woman. Uh, well, she was a young woman, but Jeremiah 31, 22 says, The Lord will do a new thing in the earth. A woman shall compass a man. Compass a man means bypass a man, which combined that was Isaiah 7, 14, divine conception. Divine conception. So that's proof right there, divine conception. And that Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, that the spirit of Christ, the Christ spirit, fashioned a body for himself. That God actually made a body, a physical flesh and blood body for himself so that he could die and shed his blood on the cross. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. There you go. God is a spirit, and they that worship him is worship him in spirit and in truth. What you will also then come up against is people that after you've explained this and showed them this, they will say something along the lines, like the woman says in verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ, and when he has come, he'll tell us all things. Well, we just all just go to the Bible. It'll make sense. You know, we can't believe what other people say. We have to just read it ourselves. And then and God will make it known to us at some point anyways. And we'll, we'll all get, come to the understanding eventually. Jesus cuts right to the quick. We know that when the Messiah comes, which is called Christ, he'll teach us all things. Jesus says, verse 26, I that speak unto thee am he. That's where you have to just drop the bomb. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Christ, which means the mighty God. Of Isaiah 9 6. This is where you need to pull out all the cards and drop everything, all the scriptures that prove the deity of Jesus Christ. Because until they see that Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh, they're not going to understand. They're not going to get it. 
Um, but when people see and understand as Jesus says, I am the Christ Messiah, Isaiah 9, 6 says that's the mighty God, the everlasting father. Micah, the prophet, says that this is the one whose ways are of old, of everlasting. Moses spoke of the Christ. Elijah spoke of the Christ. All the prophets spoke of the Christ Messiah that would come and proving that is God all through. Jesus accepted worship. Jesus forgave sins. Jesus claimed the names of God. Jesus had power over life and death. Jesus that does it all. Jesus says, I am the Christ Messiah. I am God. The woman stopped arguing. Suddenly enlightenment came to her. And upon this, verse 27, and upon this, Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. Now, if you actually do a word study on verse 26, I that speak unto thee am he. You'll notice something really interesting. When you go back to the Koine Greek and you read this, you'll notice that the, the word he is not included. In your Bible, if you actually look at verse 26, the word he is italicized. The italicized words are words that were added. That when the translators came to the Hebrew and the Greek were translated into English. Well, an immediate direct translation from the Greek and Hebrew will have very broken English. So they added words here and there to help with the flow of the understanding of the sentence structure. But the words they added, they italicized so you know which words they added. If you go back to the Koine Greek, the word he is not there. It just says, I this speak unto the am. But the words I and am. I that speak unto thee am. I am. Ego, emi. The always existing one. I'm the always existing one, Jesus says to her. Jesus flat out said to the woman, I am the I am. Just like he said to Moses on Mount Sinai many years before. Jesus flat out says, I'm the I am. He that is talking with you is the I am. Verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, what speak, what seekest thou? What speakest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot. And went her way to the city and said to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She was stunned, speechless. Jesus says, "He, the one talking with you is the I am. Her mouth dropped open. She dropped her water pot and ran into the city and started telling everybody, I met the Christ. I met God. I met the mighty God. I met the Messiah, the Christ, which is called Jesus, who is the mighty God. Evangelism. Patience. Awareness. Discernment. Long-suffering. And you need knowledge of the scriptures. You got to know how to be able to turn all topics, all questions, everything back to the same point.
You're not there to argue law. You're not to argue foolish questions. You're not talking about other things. You are there to show them Christ. You're there to show them Jesus. You're there to show them their sins so they can be saved. You're there to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That's all that matters. And Christ atoned for the sins of all the world. First John 2, 2, and he is the atonement for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Why? Because he so loved the world that he fashioned a body for himself. And he so loved us that he sent this body that he made, his only begotten son, and dwelt with the spirit of God unto all the world, to die on the cross for all the world. God purchased the church with his own blood. Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. First John 5.20 that uh, we trust the living God, which is the Savior of all men. First Timothy four ten. God was manifested in the flesh. First Timothy three sixteen. And He asked that we would drink of this water. Would you listen to what He says? Listen to the gospel that Jesus presents. Look what Jesus says. Jesus says you must repent. You repent of your sins and believe the gospel. Except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. To him gave all the prophets witness that through his name, whose name? Who has power of everlasting life? Angels? No. Prophets? No. Holy men? No. We trust in the living God, which is the Savior of all men. Only God can forgive sins. Only God gives everlasting life. And Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them, they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. Jesus says in John 10, 18, I have power to lay down my life and take it up again. No man taketh it from me. Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. He, his person, his identity, his gospel, his work, the reason he came is what we evangelize about, is what we preach about, is what we debate about, is what we promote. Nothing else. We are not here to win arguments. We're here to win souls. We're here to love all people as Christ loved them. Jesus went to the publicans and the sinners and the harlots and the thieves and the liars and the criminal. He went to the sinners, the pagans and the heathens and the godless. Jesus even preached again and again and again and again to the Pharisees. God wants all men everywhere to repent. Jesus didn't, didn't hate upon people. He, didn't, he wasn't bigoted against other people. He wants all men everywhere to repent. Repent leads to what? The cross. The, the attitude of the understanding, the acknowledgement, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. The law convicts of sin. And the law leads you to the atonement, to the sacrifice, which is the foot of the cross. When I look at the scriptures, I see that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. And God so loves me. And God and the form and the likeness of man, Jesus, can save me from my sins. He calls all, draws all, wants all to be saved. Are we willing to follow the steps of Jesus and look at the hearts of every man? Look at the hearts. Look at the souls of people. Stop seeing the outward. Stop judging after the outward. Stop blaming and focusing on the outward. Focus on the heart that beats red blood, just like everyone else's does, just as Jesus' own heart did. He shed his red blood for ours. 
because he so loved us. Look at people the way Jesus did. Look at people the way the apostles did. Look at people the way the prophets did. All those called of God are called to preach the same gospel, the same message, the same message. Unto us is given the message of reconciliation. Let us bring it to them. Let us be willing to bring it to them. Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? He knows everything about you. He knows all your secrets. He knows all your strengths. He knows all your weaknesses. He knows all your days. He sees all your past. He sees all your present. He sees all your future. He knows everything about you. And he says, now, would you just come to me as you are and just repent and believe the gospel? It's that simple. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins by the riches of his grace, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. For even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. What did Jesus come to do to save us from the condemnation of the law? That we might, be, we might live by grace. We're no longer under the law, but under grace. For the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 1, 17. The grace of God that surpasses all of our understanding. Now, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. The grace of God by faith is imputed upon us by belief. By grace alone, through faith alone, by belief alone, by the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ alone. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. All righty, folks. So there you go. So I hope that this has been encouraging to you. Like I said, we're going to break this in half and we'll, we'll pick this up again. This is going to be uh, uh, part four. And then we're going to do uh, part five is going to be the last half of this chapter. So I hope you'll tune in for that. Um, hopefully tomorrow we'll be able to finish this up. So if you have any comments, questions, any issues, insights, anything at all regarding what we talked about, please bring it up. Be glad to hear from you. And again, folks, sorry for any technical issues. We had some technical glitches today. Um, our Wi-Fi acts up every once in a while over here. I'm not sure why. Um, it just does. We always have good days and bad days. But it seemed to calm down a bit and we seemed to be all right, especially after we prayed. So it could have possibly it could possibly have been some spiritual opposition against it. Who knows? There we go. So I hope this is an encouragement. Uh, please make sure you rewatch this. If you could, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell icons. So you know, when we put up new videos. Make sure you check out all our other platforms, all our other videos. We got tons of content. And check out our website as well. Uh, it's a christiancoffeetime.ca. We're Canada based, we're in Canada, so it's .ca christiancoffeetime.ca we got tons of content tons of links and platforms and stuff and goodies there please make sure you check that out um 
so uh, sorry, question here. I know a lot about, you know, I could help you get some reviews if you want to chat on Facebook. Uh, hey, yeah, I'd always uh, appreciate some help in that way. Uh, what you can do is uh, contact me through our website. You can message me, and we, or if you already have, you know how to contact me and uh, let me know, and uh, we can definitely chat about that. Yeah, the technical issues uh, come after prayer. Amen. All right. Plug uh, directly Ethernet. Yeah, we could look into that. I'm, I'm using my laptop, so it has issues with Wi-Fi. We could look into something like that. All righty. So, all righty, folks. So with that, then, God bless you. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. I hope this has been encouragement. I hope this has been a blessing. And I hope that uh, you're able to share this around, help, help other people see the, the beauty of our Lord, the, the, the power of our Lord. And uh, again, please check this out as this, again, is uh, the Gospel of John is the evangelist gospel. Chapter four is the evangelist chapter. So you look through what Gospel of John is all about and pour all of the emphasis of the Gospel of John upon chapter four, especially the first half here with the, with the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus shows us step by step by step how to do evangelism. So please make sure you check that in. All right, folks, God bless you. Hope to see you again. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. <laughs>